0: loves to read. And uh, we, we have read books to the kids when they were little, and um, then they have been reading books on their own. And one of the things that we have also liked to do is when we travel, uh, listen to audiobooks as we travel as a family. And for a long, long time, I don't even know, maybe a whole decade, the, the book of choice uh, was Winnie the Pooh by A.A. A. Milne. And uh, there's an excellent audio uh, version of that. If you'd like to know about it, let, let me know. I would love to, to share it with you because we have enjoyed it so much. Um, but one of, the f- one of the favorite scenes of mine is Winnie the Pooh and Piglet have decided that they want to catch a heffalump. And so they're, they're like, okay, well, if you were going to catch a heffalump, how would you do it? And he goes, well, I, I would dig a big pit. And then the heffalump would fall into the pit. Well, why would the heffalump fall into the pit? Well, maybe it wasn't watching where it was going, and so then it would fall into the pit. Well, how would we know? It's not going to watch where it's going to go. How would we know where to dig the pit? Well, ideally, we would dig the pit right in the place where they're not looking where they were going except maybe one foot further, and that's the best place to to dig the pit. And then they went, okay, well, if we should want, Piglet finally goes, okay, if we were going to try and catch you, if you were going to fall fall into a trap, then how would we catch you? And Winnie the Pooh says, Oh, you know what I would do? I would put honey in the bottom of the trap, in the bottom of the pit. And then I would go and I would find the honey and I would lick around the edges and I would sniff it and I would pretend I wasn't. And he just goes on and on. And Piglet's like, Yes, yes, that's fine, fine, fine. That's fine. All we need to figure out is what to put in that trap so that we can catch this heffalump. And they argue about it because uh, he thinks that maybe. fur cones are the thing to put in there, and and Winnie the Pooh thinks that maybe honey is the thing to put in there, and finally they decide honey is the thing that they're going to put in this trap, because this is the thing, that they're going to dig a big pit, they're going to put honey in the bottom of it, and then the heffalump is going to come along and smell the honey and fall into the trap, and then the heffalump will be caught, and they will have a heffalump, right? And the story goes on. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. You're going to have to either remember it afresh or go back and, and look it up and listen to it, but it's, a, it's just a fun story. Well, this morning, we are uh, seeing that the Pharisees are, the, the religious leaders are thinking up a trap for Jesus right? They're thinking up a trap for Jesus. They, they're so tired of Him. They, they keep confronting Him. Why are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do these things? They're not really appreciating the things that He's doing as He's teaching in the temple, as He's throwing out the, the people who are the money changers and things in the temple, as He's healing people, and as more and poor people are just super excited to follow Jesus. They're getting more and more frustrated, Right, just a few days ago, uh, chronologically, Jesus had entered into Jerusalem, and the people were cheering, cheering. As if he was coming in to become king or something. They were they were just praising God for Jesus and the things that he was doing. And the religious leaders are getting really tired of this, and so they've been conspiring with each other, and they've been talking okay, how would we how would we catch Jesus? How would we catch Jesus? Like if we were to get a trap, Jesus, well, how how would we do that? And so we have here in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. You know what we'll do? Jesus is, Jesus is fond of teaching and telling people how things are, you know what we'll do? We'll, we'll entangle him. We'll ensnare him, trap him in his words. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. He's always talking. He's, when people talk too much, they always end up putting their foot in their mouth. And so we'll just, we'll just catch Jesus in his words. What, should, what can we ask him? How can we set up some kind of question that Jesus will answer, and we'll, we'll, then we'll have him, right? Then we'll have him. And so here's what they decided to do. Verse 16. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Oh, isn't this nice of them? This is just so kind. They came and they just flattered Jesus. Oh Jesus, we know you're not swayed by anything. You don't give preference to one group of people over another group of people. You aren't going to be swayed by public opinion or appearances. So we know that you will answer this truthfully. And so we have the disciples of the Pharisees and we have the Herodians who have a question we'd like to ask you. Now, we don't know a lot about the Herodians. In fact, we don't know much more than what you can infer by their name. They are Herod's people, right? They are Herod's people. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were not too um, fond of Herod's people, because the, the Israelites, the, the Jews that were living there, they wanted to have their own country living in their own place. And the Romans were an oppressive government over them and they didn't really like them. They wished they weren't there and they could just rule themselves. And Herod was the ruler in this area, and so the Herodians are people who are Herod's people, right? Whether they are officials or whether they are are just along with Herod and they just are are people who appreciate and really like Herod, they're pro-Herod people, they come along, right? And so, so now we have these two groups of people who don't get along with each other very well, and the Pharisees have set this up so that they can ask Jesus a question, And this is their question. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, we know, Jesus, that you are not swayed by who might be standing in front of you, whether they be Herodians or Pharisee disciples. And you are just going to answer truthfully. Should we pay taxes to Caesar Should we, God's people, pay taxes to an oppressive government that rules over us? You can see the trap being set, right? On one side of the trap, you have the Herodians who are pro-Herod. Yes, of course you should be paying the tax. Here you live in this place, and all of the residents of this place must pay the tax to the government. That's one side of the trap. But then on the other side of the trap is these people who are going, oh, no, certainly, certainly not. Certainly we wouldn't have to pay taxes to an oppressive government that rules over us in a way contrary to God's law. Which is right, Jesus? Which is right? You see, if Jesus says, yes, you should absolutely pay the taxes, then the Herodians will be happy, but many of the Jews, many of God's people who have been trumpeting Jesus and have been seeing Him as the Messiah, the King to come who is going to come in and free them from Roman rule, will go, what? What are you talking about? We thought that you were going to come in and overthrow the Roman government. And you're going to tell us that we should submit and pay the taxes? However, if on the other side, Jesus does say, you should not pay the taxes, then the Herodians will go, what? Are you an insurrectionist? Telling people that they shouldn't pay their taxes? So on the one hand, he would be on the, in trouble with the Jews, and on the other hand, he would be in trouble with the Romans, and he, the Pharisees could hand him over to the Romans And either way, they win. It's a very clever trap. They have set Jesus up with this political trap. In fact, politics, I think, is the trap, right? If I I were to get ensnared by something, it would be politics for sure. I have often stuck my foot in the politics trap because somebody asks me a political question and I open my big mouth and say something and then find I have to cut off my limb to get free of this. Christians are often tempted into this snare. And so as they set this up for Jesus, then we wonder, what is Jesus going to do? What is Jesus going to do? When he's asked this political question, With this intersection between spirituality and politics, what should we do in that place of tension that is so difficult to navigate? Should we pay the taxes or should we not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Why put me to the test? Jesus sees right through it, right? He sees that there is the the, uh, question in the middle, that's the bait, and then you have the trap on the one side with the Herodians and the trap on the other side with the Pharisees representing the Jews, and if you come in and try and take that bait, that is just going to snap shut on you. what I would expect because this is what I would do if it was me. If I walked into this kind of a situation and I saw they set up the trap on the one side and they set up the trap on the other side and they put the bait in the middle, I would go, I am not taking that bait. I have lost too many hands trying to grab hold of that bait. You can't fool me. You can't fool me. I refuse to answer. Isn't that what the Pharisees did last time, right? When Jesus interacted with them and and they said, where does your authority come from? And Jesus said, I'll answer your question if you answer my question. Where did John the Baptist's authority come from? And they went, ooh, that's a tricky one. That's a, Because if we say, from man, he'll, then all of the people will reject us. But if we say, from God, he'll say, then why didn't you believe him? And so it was a trap for them, right? And so they went, we are not going to answer this. So will Jesus take that same tact? Will he uh, use that same approach and go, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, no, no, I see what you're doing. I refuse to answer this. In fact, not. Jesus says, Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? Now, at this point, you you have to imagine that the Pharisees are going, Where's this going? This should have been a simple yes or no question. Where is this going? They had to go root around and come up with a denarius. This is the coin that would be used to pay the tax that they're asking Jesus whether or not they should be paying. And so Jesus says, have you got one of those coins? And they went, yeah, here, here it is. I've got one right here. And so they find one and they show it to Jesus. And Jesus looks at it and he says, uh, whose likeness is this? Whose inscription is on this coin. Who, whose coin is this? Whose likeness and whose inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Hmm. Then He said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the, thing that, the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. In in essence, what Jesus is doing is he's taking the coin and he's saying, whose coin is this? Where did it come from? Who made it? For what purpose? Well, it's Caesar's likeness. It's made in Caesar's image. It has Caesar's inscription on it. Caesar had it made so that the people living in Caesar's land could use it To barter and to trade and to purchase things, to be paid wages, and to pay taxes. It's part of the system in which we live, and so that's why we have one of these, and it's Caesar's inscription on it. And Jesus says, huh, I think you should probably give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. If it looks like Caesar, and Caesar made it for Caesar's purposes, and you have it, why don't you give it back to Caesar? There, there were some that didn't mind having the money, right? They didn't mind having it and using it. They just wanted to use it for their own purposes and didn't want to feel obligated to give it back to the government. There were others who didn't want it at all. They didn't want to use the money, right? They felt like it was not right that they should be using this secular money like this. And either way, Jesus is saying, if you want to use the money and you use it for your own purposes, you should also give it back to the person who gave it to you for the purpose for which he gave it to you. And if you don't want to have the money and you don't want to use it, then what difference does it make to you if you give it away back to the person who gave it to you? You didn't want it to begin with. The interesting thing about this is that while this is a trap, right? So uh, Winnie the Pooh and Piglet set up the trap, right? And when they set up the trap, they came up with this idea that if they dug the pit and they put something in the bottom that a heffalump would like, then they, that heffalump would come along and would get stuck in their trap. But what ended up actually happening, spoiler alert for a very old story, what ended up happening is that they put honey in the bottom of the pit. Why did they put honey in the bottom of the pit? It was because Winnie the Pooh really liked it and had to imagine that also a heffalump, as much as he liked it, a heffalump would also like that, and that would be really good heffalump bait. But as it turns out, it's also very good Winnie the Pooh bait. And so what they had essentially done was dug themselves a Winnie the Pooh trap. Because who is most tempted in the 100-acre wood by honey? It's Winnie the Pooh. And so in the middle of the night when he is very hungry and in the mood for his midnight snack, he wakes up and realizes there is honey calling his name in this trap. And so he goes and he finds himself stuck in the bottom of the trap to finish off the last of the honey that was down at the bottom of that trap. And do you know what the Pharisees have done? They have dug a Pharisee trap. You see, for Jesus, he wasn't tempted by the politics. He wasn't struggling with this issue. It wasn't a trap for him. It was a trap for the Pharisees. And so when they throw that first punch, right? And they're going to throw that first punch and it's going to land on Jesus' square this time. Jesus, like some kind of judo discussion master, grabs it and goes, and they lose their balance and they fall right into their own trap. They fall right into their own trap. Because this was an issue for them, and so when they had imagined the most tricky scenario they could think of, they went, this is it, this is the trap, the intersection of politics and spirituality, how do those things go together? That is where we will find Jesus, at the bottom of the pit, and then we will have them, then we will have him. And his response was, guys, I'm not tempted by Caesar's denarius, I'm not struggling with an oppressive Roman government over us. If that came from Caesar, then give it back to Caesar. And suddenly they're going, wait, what happened here? And they're falling into their own trap as Jesus says, whose likeness and inscription is this? Therefore, give it back to Caesar and give to God what is God's. And now the Pharisees are in the bottom of their own trap. And here's what I think for us. I, I, I think that for us, there may not be quite the same um, hesitation to pay the tax, right? You, you I, I'm hoping, are paying your taxes. <laughs> Grudgingly, Perhaps. But paying them, doing what is the right thing as a citizen of the United States or a resident of the United States to do is to pay the taxes. And this is the season in which we are preparing those taxes. Maybe some of you are really on top of it and have already got it in. And maybe as I'm talking about this, some of you are going, "Ah, I should start thinking about that. And then there are probably many of you in between that. But here we are in that place, right? And our frustration or temptation is to um, overly invest in the politics, right? We, we We may not struggle with whether or not we are going to pay the taxes, but we struggle with being in a place where, as Christians, we are underneath a rule of a government that we don't always agree with or appreciate the things that they're doing. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? And Jesus says, you submit to the governing authorities. And if they ask you to pay the tax or tell you to pay the tax, demand that you pay the tax, then you pay the tax. It's part of being a resident, a citizen in this country. And at the same time, He puts this twist on it and says, so those things that go to Caesar, those things that are Caesar's, you should give to Caesar, and those things that are God's, you should give to God. And as he has just asked the question about the image, whose image, whose likeness is this on the coin, whose inscription is written on it, then it has to come to mind, right? It has to come to mind, Genesis chapter 1 in which in verse 26 God said, "'Let us make man in our image and after our likeness.'" And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Every person on the face of the planet is made in the image of God and that has been true for all of history. They have all been made in his image. And so, what Jesus is saying is, give the coins back to Caesar, but render your lives to God, your very being created in His image, you being created in His image for His purposes, give yourself back to Him, give yourself back to Him. You see, Jesus doesn't see the same tension that we see and feel or that the Pharisees saw and felt, this tension between the political, physical realm and the spiritual, heavenly realm, right? And going, what, what are we going to do when these two realms sort of overlap just a little bit? and we have this intersection where they bump into one another, and there's an incompatibility there because I can't honor this government and honor God at the same time. And Jesus is saying, who do you think is the creator of all things? Who do you think is the ruler of this universe? There is no bumping up against one another, there is complete overlap because while Caesar has some authority and you can give him coins, God has complete authority and you should give him your lives. You see, we are under the impression sometimes that the world is operating outside of God's control and, oh no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Have you seen the way that the last vote went out? Have you seen the people who are getting elected? Have you seen the way that the judges are ruling? Have you seen the way that blah 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 that the blah da da da? What are we going to do? The world is out of control. It's spinning out of control. It's headed to hell in a handbasket. What are we going to do? We need to uprise. We need to rebel. We need to do whatever so that we can fix this. And we are under the impression that this is somehow outside of God's control or His influence rather than recognizing that He has never given up control for a moment. Not for a moment. And the reason that the political thing is such a snare for me and I suspect for many is because if I was in charge, I would want to do things differently than they are. If I was the one to appoint political leaders, if I was the one to appoint judges and presidents and mayors and governors and all of those things and decide how the laws of the land would rule, I would do it very differently than this. And yet, this is how God has done it. This is how God has done it. And we have seen governments come, and we have seen governments fall, and we have seen a wide variety of governments all around the world throughout history and even today. And there are times when I look at this country and I look at other countries and I go, why, God, would you do it that way? Why would you do it that way? Why would you let those people be in charge in that place? Why would you let these people be in charge in this place? I don't get it. I don't like it. And God, for His own purposes, sets these things up so that they are all under His control. And we have a dual citizenship. We are citizens of this realm, and we are citizens in heaven at the same time, with God having authority over the whole thing. So that in Romans chapter 13, it says this, "'Let every person be subject to governing authorities. "'For there is no authority except from God, "'and those that exist have been instituted by God. "'Therefore, whoever resists the authorities "'resists what God has appointed, "'and those who resist will incur judgment. "'For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad.' For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And this is the thing that that Jesus recognized, that the Pharisees failed to recognize, That it was not that the Messiah was going to be coming to fix the problem of the Roman government and overthrow it so that they could have a new worldly government. But rather, that the Messiah was going to come to turn the hearts of the people back to God. So that they might be residents of a heavenly spiritual realm. Recognizing that their first identity is as God's people and only secondarily and in submission to the government that is then under God's authority and over us. And so he says, so submit then. Submit then to that that governing authority. That's not to say that we should uh, not ever have times that we are submissively, uh, subversively righteous, right? That we are doing things that are different than what the priorities of the government might institute for us. We recognize that there are, are times when we must be submissive to and also subversive, right? Because we don't adopt their priorities, their goals, just because we operate in submission. We are still following the priorities and the goals of our Heavenly Father, but we do that in submission to the government that He has instituted over us, giving the due to all to whom it is owed. You see, the Christian life is a life of submission, primarily where we submit to one another and we submit to those who are in authority over us in every area in which they are in authority over us. And in this country, that's a difficult thing to ask. In, in this country, in this region in particular, right? Right? People moved out to the Pacific Northwest to get away from all of that. They are independent. That's why they live out here. You don't tell me what I can and can't do. I'm going to do my own thing. This is countercultural. To say, no, we are going to submit in righteousness we are going to submit in righteousness. It is possible that we might be concerned that if we submit to an unrighteous government or an unrighteous leader, that then they will have more power or they might do something, but we just have to remember and remind ourselves over and over again that God is in control that He instituted these leaders over us for our own good, even if it doesn't look like it to us, right? And we may pray, God, would you change these leaders because I don't like it. And we may even vote or petition while under submission. And if God decides that He's going to change it and we think for the better praise God. And if God decides that He's going to leave us or change it for what we think is the worse, we praise God. And we trust that God is good. And when, verse 22 of Matthew 22, when they heard it, they marveled and left Him and went away. They were so sure. They were so sure that this time Jesus was going to get stuck. When I was a kid, I loved reading stories about um, kids that were in the wilderness, right? And so stories like Where the Red Fern Grows and other books like that where they're just out in the wilderness and they're trapping things and snaring animals. And I, I remember reading this story, Where the Red Fern Grows, about how he trapped a raccoon and that he punched nails into a log so that they were all about like this far apart from one another, and he put peanut butter in the middle because the raccoon wouldn't be able to stand leaving the peanut butter alone, and so the raccoon would come and would grab hold of it, but then its fist would be too big to get back out because the nails would hold it into place, but it wouldn't let go of the peanut butter, and so it would be stuck. And those Pharisees were so sure that Jesus was going to be stuck on that peanut butter because it was an issue that they had themselves. And I just want for us to not get stuck on the peanut butter, but to recognize that Jesus is so good and that when he came, He did come to become king, but not in the way that we thought, not in the way that the Pharisees thought to overturn the rulers and authorities of this world, but to take his spiritual place over them so that they will all be in subjection to his authority, all carrying out his will, whether or not they wanted it. But those Pharisees, those ones who were stuck on the peanut butter, in Romans chapter 10, Paul says this, Brothers, it is my heart's desire and prayer to God for them that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they do have a zeal for God, it's just not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus came to set us free. He set us. He came to to set us free from our sin, from our shame, from our feeling the need to be. Uh, independent and rebellious. He set us free so that we might live in free submission to God. And not only did Jesus teach it, but He modeled it. He demonstrated it so that only a a mere day, maybe two later, certainly in very close proximity to this, Jesus was going to submit himself to the will of God, the Father. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, it says, going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus found himself submitting himself to the will of the Father and going, oh, Father, I know what is about to come. I know that I am going to have to go to the cross. I know that I'm going to have to go to the cross and I'm going to have to die for the sins of every person in the world. I know that I am going to have to endure that. Please, if there's any other way, can we do it a different way? I don't want to have to do that. My flesh resists it. And yet, if you say, let's do it, I will do it with joy in submission to you. I will do it with joy in submission to you. Do you recognize That the oppressive Roman government, that those Pharisees would, in fact, go to those Roman leaders and would say, Jesus says you shouldn't pay the temple tax, or you shouldn't pay the tax, they shouldn't pay the taxes to Caesar, this is an insurrectionist. And they hand Jesus over to to the Romans as if he was an insurrectionist. And unrighteously, they convict him, finding nothing wrong in him at all, yet they convict him to death so that he would be hung on a Roman cross. And we say, that's not right. That's not the way that it should be. And yet Jesus submits to the Roman authorities. He could have said, guys, time out. Time out, there is no sin in me, you cannot condemn me to death, but he submitted. He could have said, time out, I am the God and creator of the universe, I am the one who reigns over everything, unhand me and let me go, and they would have done it. But Jesus submits to this oppressive Roman government so that he can be crucified on a Roman cross because he was submitted to the will of God the Father who ordained the entire thing so that you and I could be set free from our sin through the act of Jesus' submission. And so that we could be set free from our rebellion so that we can be free to submit to him. In righteousness.